Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Kang. Kang is the venture studio that I'm a partner in and where we build health and well-being companies. So we take some of this knowledge from this podcast and try and see, can we scale that and provide that to more people? So we do it together with great entrepreneurs. So if you're into building companies, but in the health and well-being space, then check out kang.com. There'll be a link in the show notes as well. But now let's get into this episode. Thank you so much for spending some time again to, to listen today. Today I got one of my personal inspirations, Martin Bjergo. Mm-hmm. He is extremely accomplished. So he went to McKinsey, started his career. He did some stuff before that. He then started Rainmaking, where I used to work, a place where you build more than 30 companies and help accelerators. I think it was more than 500 companies. I think it's 700 now. 700 now. Super impressive. And you started Focus DK, which turned into Able, one of the Rainmaking companies where you did a big transformation in actually making more of a purpose company. So that's one of the big inspirations for me, at least. I want to learn how to be more heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and seeing that and, and how do you do that in practice, that's much harder than in theory. So, so learning from that. Mm-hmm. And then you also wrote the book, How Winning Without Losing. That was a big bestseller as well. And you wrote How to Become a Leader. That was published as well by The School of Life. And people that don't know The School of Life, that's something to definitely follow as well for, mm. for good guidance that is rooted both in science and what really works in practice. Yes. Yeah. And that was just a short sum up. But for me, one of the big inspirations at least is not just all of the accomplishment, but it's very much the being heartfelt while still accomplishing all of that. Yeah. So Martin, thank you so much mm. for taking the time. Thank you for inviting me. So today we're going to talk a bit about your life, how you've been kind of finding your way and finding meaning with what you do. And then also about like where you are today. Yes. So, but how did the story like start with getting to where you are today? Um, I, I, you mean start, start? <laughs> you, you were born <laughs> in uh, Jutland, if I remember right. Exactly. Or was it yeah, exactly. And and very much there was a ch- ch- you know in my childhood the, yeah. the whole thing about entrepreneurship. My dad started uh, companies and initiatives. Uh, it was not so much called entrepreneurship at the time. I think it was just called, you know, getting a, getting some kind of idea for something you could uh, buy cheap and sell expensive. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, low low tech for sure. Um, but the philosophy was there that you can start, you can come up with an idea and you can start it. So, I thought the whole world worked like that hmm. because it was what I grew up with. It was only later that I learned that that other people had what we call, you know, a job and that they. And that they didn't necessarily think that they could act out their ideas. Mm. Um, so it was very natural in, in, in that sense. I cannot take credit for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then going to feeling like finding meaning in different jobs or in different things you're doing. I think that's been, for me, that's a super interesting subject. And I know a lot of people reach a lot of big goals. And it definitely from my consulting days, I've seen a lot of my friends now that were the best in school, worked really hard, have done really well in some of the big consultancies, but they're finally at a place now where they're like, 
is this it? Yeah. Is this really what I've spent so many waking hours on and, and some of my health on as well? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also for me, that was, that was a, a journey because I thought life was a lot simpler hmm. in the sense that the first story I believe was that if you, if you become successful in terms of monetary success, mm. then you're happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very simple. Just become successful, you know. And uh, I believe that's that's an idea that many people have had over the times. Whether that meant to become a lawyer or a doctor or whatever your parents told you that you know, then you're set for life if you if you do that. And of course, we all learn eventually that that's not how it works. Hmm. Uh, and then we learn that early on, or we learn it a lot later. Um, but that was one of the first insights. And another one was that basically I I, I saw. Many accomplished people like like you know like yourself. I was also eager to seek out people and have conversations with all kinds of business leaders, and we we had the had the honor of meeting a lot of successful uh, people as we were finding investors for rainmaking as well, and got some of them on board, and wonderful, beautiful people. Um, and at the same time, I could also see that it's not exactly that's direct correlation between you mm. become very successful and then you're suddenly a whole different person where you're just happy yeah. every day. Maybe it's not even related at all. Mm. And, and that sparked the curiosity to look into some, some research and some statistics on the topic. Um, and um, and sh sh sure enough, there is no, not, not such any connection there at all. Uh, and then I, uh, I figured out that Oh, okay. So it's not as such about formal accomplishment like that. It's about meaning in life. It's about purpose. It's about that will give fulfillment. And uh, paradoxically enough, that can become a new pitfall for you to fall in, right? Yeah. And nowadays, there are so many people running around being unfulfilled because they are searching for fulfillment. I see that a lot happening with my generation <laughs> and the younger. Yes. I think, I think Simon Sinek said it really well. Like young people come in and they're like, I want to change the entire world. Yes. But it takes time to change the world. Yes. And if you're constantly having to look for that big meaning all the time, it can become very stressful. Yeah, exactly. And, and basically you just gave your ego another, another bone to chew in, mm. right? But you're still chewing away from the ego. So one story is that you should become wealthy, then you'll be happy, then your ego is happy. Another one is to become famous. Another one is that you should be the most clever person, whatever it is. Uh, and a biggie these days is, of course, that you should change the world. Mm. Um, but if you actually notice it, it, it's the same fundamental dynamic uh, that, uh, and it's very much going into the drama triangle, where there's a victim and, and a villain and a savior. Mm. Uh, this is how you build any good narrative, any good story, right? If, yeah. you, if you want to make a movie or a theater play or write a book, there should definitely be a victim and a villain and a hero. Yeah. Um, and uh, nowadays it can very much be, of course, uh, that the planet is suffering clearly. So that's the victim and who's, who's doing it, uh, who's the villain. That's big business among others. And then we can define ourselves as the hero. Hmm. And the ego, of course, loves that, loves that uh, stuff. Um, but for us, as and it's of course very useful if you want to do something for, for the planet, for the climate. It's not something that we shouldn't. We should just be very aware of the internal dynamic, mm. what is happening, what is actually happening. And if it's just become that now I want to be that person changing the world. So you just change that I want to be famous or I want to be rich with I want to change the world. But it's still I want something other than what is currently. Mm. Uh, and I should go, you know, out in the world and 
do, uh, do, do that. A lot of focus on the doing and the achieving and the striving and less focus on the being um, and being present, being in the moment, being kind, being loving, being compassionate. All of that can, you know, f fall to the wayside because you focus so much on that I am the savior and mm. now I will achieve this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's the, the always is still that you identified with, we are identified with, with when we, when we, when we do it that way, we're still identified with the ego. Thus, we will still get suffering. So how do we make change in the world without being like, I need to change something? Because the world definitely needs some change. Absolutely. And it, it, and it, it is, um, we need to do two things at the same time, which is, it might seem like a paradox, but we, we definitely need to be fully engaged in what we do, uh, passionate even, um, about what we are doing, about the process of what we're doing while we are at the same time detached from the outcome. Mm -hmm. That's very challenging for the intellect to grasp. You know, we, we, we get it at, at a deeper place in ourselves intuitively. Like uh, we, can, we, can, we can understand it. But for the intellect, the intellect would really like to choose just one of them. Mm -hmm. Either I don't give a shit and I just lie on the couch and you know, like, hey, whatever, chill out, man. Uh, either I go into that I don't even do an effort yeah. because then it's easy enough to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> we know that one, right? Yeah. And also with relationships, if I don't do an effort to yeah. make someone happy, then I can't be disappointed. Yes. Uh, if, uh, if I don't do an effort to get that job or to build that company, I can't be disappointed. That's, you know, the, that, that we understand that logic. Uh, and on the other hand, we also understand that you work really hard for something. Mm. And then you also wanted to succeed and you become very disappointed or disillusionized or depressed or stressed in the process if it doesn't go as you want it to. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is the conversation essentially that Arjuna has with, uh, with Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu version of the Bible, right? That, that Gandhi was very inspired by and, and, and many have been very inspired by. Uh, this is basically uh, that conversation that they... Uh, that, that, that one of the conversations that they're having uh, about how you apply yourself in the process, mm -hmm. uh, really go all in into the process, you know, be in life, be engaged in what you're doing. Of course, if it's worth doing, it's worth also giving it your best. Mm -hmm. Of course, don't be, we shouldn't be half-hearted or half-assed about anything. We should be all in what we do. And at the same time, we should be, we should strive to be, we should practice to be, totally detached from the outcome hmm. because then what happens happens and who are we to argue with reality so if i do all my best for this startup to succeed given what i have and what i am and then for some reason it doesn't work then that's okay too hmm. why would i suffer for that yeah yeah so that's not to say the same as you don't care about the outcome it's about giving your best and then accepting the outcome no matter what Yes. direction it goes. And I think that goes a lot through at least what I've read and found with psychology is like you can only give your best and then it's very much how you perceive the outcome afterwards that matters to your happiness. So if you tie it up to your entire personality and think you're a failure if the startup didn't succeed or you didn't change a certain thing with the climate. Yes. That's that's not going to help anyone. No. No. And and it's based on the on on the thinking that <laughs> that we need something we don't have right now in order to be okay. And that's why we get so stressed or depressed um, mm. or 
angry or sad or disappointed if our plans don't come true because we think that there's something that needs to happen for me to feel okay. Yeah. The moment we realize that actually you have everything you need to feel okay right now, there's nothing you, you need to add to who you are today to feel okay. Hmm. And when we realize that, then of course we can easily apply ourselves without becoming so uh, attached to the outcome. Yeah. Because it's actually wonderful to be active. Some people would think that, but if you get to that point where you're so okay, then why do anything? Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, but then we actually uh, we we actually not fully honest with ourselves. We are actually still afraid that it would not work. Hmm. If we are, it, uh, it doesn't. It's not the natural state to be lazy. No, it just bubbles up naturally in us human beings. When we are thriving, we want to contribute. We want to engage. We want to give. We want. We, we, yeah, we want to simply do something good when we get up in the morning. Yeah. Why wouldn't we do that? It's only like if we get into a story, it won't matter anyway, I'm not good enough for it, or some kind of other story that, that we stop doing that. Yeah. So what do you think is something that got you to where you are today? I know that's a big question, but like, what's been some of the things you've done or ways of thinking to accomplish some of all the results that you have today? Definitely uh, paying. Yeah. Is, is, uh, is part of it, right? I, I wouldn't say that's, you know, no pain, no gain. I think, you know, we shouldn't cultivate pain for, you know, for its, its, its own reason. But I can see now where I look that some of the times where it's been very painful in my life, that has been uh, just the period before a big breakthrough. So I wouldn't have been without that pain now that I look at it in hindsight. I'm actually very grateful that I had that pain, that that startup did not work out, yeah. or that I had that divorce, yeah. or that I got a bit uh, depressed uh, leading up to my 40-year-old birthday. You know, these things were very painful mm. while they were happening, and then at the same time, I'm immensely grateful for them because mm. each of those became what catapulted mm. a, a change that was necessary. I had the pain actually because of a resistance to change. Yeah. And I learned later on that it's also been said that all pain is the resistance to change. So if you just accept, to, when you have pain, you just surrender and say, I will change. And then notice what happens. You say, I get it, I'll change. I'll do it right now, I'll change now. The pain disappears. Mm. So it's very much a service uh, to us that there is and emotional pain because we do need to upgrade something in our belief system, in our way of being in life. Just as if we put our hand on the stove and we feel pain, it's not because our body or anything is mean to us, it's basically a service. We need to change. Yes, you need to remove your hand. Yeah. And if you have emotional pain, there's something that needs to happen in your life. You need to take a new step. Yeah. And it might not be an outer step, this is no. the first one, right? Oh, I have pain. I should leave my 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 uh, my spouse, or I should quit my job, or I should move to another city. That's the obvious one. Yeah. Again, right? Keeping us entertained, and, and and who knows? Maybe we should. But I think it's much more interesting to look in in inside, uh, because you also know the expression where wherever you go, there you are. Mm. So you will experience. And even if you move to New Zealand, if there's something you don't like about being mess. If you then think, oh, you know, it's because of the, you know, it's it's too cold this country, or people are too this or that, and then yeah. you will move to 
to uh, Thailand or some other wonderful place. And uh, then after a little while, you're going to find out that you, you, your mental processes, your way of being in life hasn't really changed. You take the same <laughs> problems with you. Exactly. But we also say the, the monkey moves along, isn't that? Well, at least in Danish, there's a saying like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it works in English, but, but we, we, we get the point, of course, that for a real change to happen, it is an internal uh, mm. process. And the other part that is also the normal saying is that it's always greener on the other side. And our yes. good old colleague. Phil, and that works in English. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. The monkey one, I don't think it works no. in English, doesn't it? But uh, I I'll remember. stop using it. Fees, he said, yeah, that's true. And come from other people as well. Like, but it's, it's always greener where you actually water. And I think that's so true. Like, where do you spend your focus wow. on actually improving it? That is beautiful. I remember that one. That's beautiful. Right. And it's a lot more constructive to look at it that way. Yeah. It's all about the words we use, right? Because if the grass is always greener on the other side, then you're basically always screwed. True. What can you do? They're always greener on the other side. Oh, no, it's terrible. It's a very depressing saying. Yeah. Right? Now that I think about it. Um, and I also haven't really used it because I can just feel that I feel depressed if I say that. Yeah. And now... Uh, and it's not something that makes you like feel good or anything. No, definitely not. And and it's not even it's not even true. But of course you can prophesize it and make it true. Yeah. Um so how about life changes? So you've done several things in your life and accomplished a lot of stuff. And now you're at the point where you are taking a new direction with your life again. Yes. At least yeah, in 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 the outer in yeah. the outer structural sense of it work-wise. Then, then, then it's uh, it's ground zero. It's time for a new, a new chapter, uh, which is very exciting and uh, and, and and meaningful. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I basically also now I've been home for for t- t- three weeks yeah. since my my honeymoon, uh, and uh, and been, I guess in a way you could say unemployed. I don't feel it like that. No, nope. as, as ever. <laughs> You're an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not busy, but uh, you know, I I, I I I have some productive days. I I, I would say. Yeah. Um, and just to back up, so the listeners know. Yeah. So you built Rainmaking up as one of the founders, and was it ten years? Uh, Thirteen. Thirteen years. Yeah. And then end of December, you yeah. chose to go a new direction with some of all the lessons that you got yes. to try something new. Yes. A new decade, right? Yeah. Uh, the twenty twenties and. Uh, and a new opportunity yeah. um, to, in a way, you can say reinvent myself, but maybe more align align the the, the structure with who I have become. Yeah, is maybe more precise to put it to, to see it in that light. And who knows exactly what that would look like? It's also part of my process to surrender and not not plan too much. Mm. I used to really want to plan. I can still see it in me sometimes. I plan a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be different stages of life as well. Yes, that is true. So uh, you're in a position in life where you have so many opportunities where you don't have to plan as much for opportunities to come your way. I don't, I, I don't think you actually would need to either. No? No, I, I can see the logic, but I actually don't really think that we need to plan. I think it's more uh, useful to... It's good to have a north star, yeah. right? So you know where where you want to go. You know the direction uh, in terms of what is your contribution at the core of it, at the essence of it. What 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 uh, what do you have to offer? I think that's very good. 
uh, so we don't just float around. Mm. You have something to navigate by. You can see the North Star. And then also just be uh, very open to what, what wants to happen. Mm. I can just feel into what wants to happen. And when I'm in flow with that, then it's so seamless. Mm. If I start making a plan, and of course we've been told that we should make so many goals, right? So if, for instance, if I had made a goal that I would like to do like uh, three podcasts and three talks in January. Mm. It's just something I came up with from the intellect, right? Who yeah. knows what, what will emerge during January? Yeah. But if I come up with that, then I'll start pushing for it. While maybe something else that could have happened, a mm. beautiful door that opens up, I would not pursue that because I had the idea that I should do three talks and three podcasts. I would much rather be totally surrendered. You know, I do zero, I do 10. It's totally fine either way. Let's yeah. see what wants to happen. And then, of course, you can say that it's easier because people write me and, and ask. Uh, and that, however, I believe that actually at every stage that, uh, and surely also uh, with the level of accomplishment and network that, that, that you already have, and, and actually, even as a student, I believe that you're just sitting there and suddenly something pops up in your awareness on LinkedIn, whatever. Mm. Say, wow, that place, I would love to work there. Let me just ping them a message. You know, collaborate with, with the universe. Just send it out that I would love to, to be there. Yeah. And then release it. Right? Yeah. Write the most beautiful message about that from, coming from your heart. And... If it's supposed to happen, it will happen. Mm. And if not, then you get another idea tomorrow. It, we don't need to uh, to stress much about it. No, it's a much much more benevolent uh, place than 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 we like to, f than we have been conditioned to to think. Mm. Because if we in general look at our parents' generation, then, then we do see that that's a lot of fear, a lot of worries, a lot of uh, an idea that work has to be hard. Um, and, and we are now changing that mm. uh, for sure. And, and, and the, you know, almost the younger people are nowadays, the less they will accept that, that, that idea. But I also see the old is, keeping, is fighting very hard to keep them in it. Like, yeah. Okay, so how are you going to make a living? Yes, that's fine, mess with your podcast, but how will you make a living? Yeah. Maybe someone in you know, the older generation could, 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 could say that. I mean, what, what a sad thing to say. Yeah. What is actually your currency? Uh, what is it that you have to optimize? I would say your excitement. Hmm. So if it excites you to do something, do it. And if it depresses you to do something, don't do it, right? Because we will not be amazing sitting from a depressed point no. and try to slave through doing something we don't really want to do. It will fail eventually. We will maybe get that paycheck a little bit longer, but then it will fail and nothing amazing will come out of it. Hmm. If we want to make something amazing, we need to be excited about it. So we need to nurture our excitement and see that as our currency. Uh, I had a one-to-one, a, a -one, I, I do something called Heartful Hours mm -hmm. uh, that is basically just a format where I assist founders and change makers and pioneers who really have their heart in it, really wants to make a, a difference, have good intentions. And then at the same time, they find that sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to live out the good intentions. Um, and... Um, and he was listing the things that he was so excited about. And then he was saying, but of course, I, I, can't, really, I can't really do that because I, 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 need to, you know, I need to stay focused. And you could just see his energy 
the moment he said that, he had talked so excitedly about yeah. some ideas he had. And then, but I, I, I can't do it. It was almost like his dad stepped into the uh. room and he was seven years and he got a scolding for daring to believe that life could be amazing. Yes. And just like, he said, okay, let me just introduce a radical thought to you. What about if you should optimize your excitement? Get as excited as you can get. And if you dared believe that life would be worked out, yeah. that you could actually still get food. I had a really good question from another guest, actually, Sarah, that was also aligned with this, like, what do you want to do with your life? How to figure that out? And she had the question, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Yes. Because then you would, yeah. you would go for what I've heard that one. Yes, I love it. I think it's so good. And I, and I definitely agree, like, you should optimize for what makes you excited and have that North Star of, like, Yes. What contribution do you want to do? Yes. I still believe, basically, when you're early in career, sometimes you have you need to accomplish some skills before you can do that North Star. And I mm. think that's where some of the, the the younger generation sometimes expect to be able to make that big impact a little bit too early. That's mm. not to say that they can make a huge impact <laughs> super fast. We have the guy that did the cleanup with the oceans. Yes. That still took him a few years to get it all the way out there. Yes. But I definitely see, for me, I feel it's easier now to go more with the flow because there's more opportunities also. Yes. Like where I'm being reached out to and being asked to participate in things. Yes. But it's very much still aligned with, I had a North Star when I was younger as well, yes. that I was looking at what are some of the ways to, yeah. to get into that. Absolutely. And especially if, if you don't have it yet, mm. It took me a while to see it clearly, and it can change also, and it can become more detailed, and things things like that. So, and and if you don't know exactly what it is, then it can be a very fine idea to to you know build some some core skills mm. early on in your career. I would say what, what can easily happen is that uh, again the ego can take over in so many ways, and for me surely it, it also took took over when I was uh, very, very young in some ways that were not productive. Uh, if the focus is how, how can I uh, contribute? How can I work on exciting topics together with amazing people where I can learn a lot and I can contribute? And if one can step into that in a humble way, uh, especially, of course, early on in one's career, if one comes in and says, yeah, I'm only 21, but I, I know everything already, then it it can be a little bit hard to work with. And it's surely the ego has has, has taken over, right? Uh, I think it's very good for all of us just to be very humble and say, what, what, can I, what can I learn here and what can I give here? And if you come from that place, there will be open doors everywhere. Yeah. And then you just do what, what feels aligned to do. If you hear yourself saying, you know, I think I'm too good for that task, uh, whether you are a leader or, or you are then at least it's, it's good to be aware. Is that yeah. a, a new way the ego has, has, now, uh, has now come in? And, and, and not to make the ego wrong or your enemy or anything. It's only about awareness. Mm. Just see, okay, oh, there, there you are, ego. It's, uh, it's fun. And I, I get it. I hear you. I will feed you a little bit later. But for now, you know, I really want to listen to my heart yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and practice that because I, I understand what, you, you know, what, what you're pointing to, that, that sometimes people very early on in their career will just say, I want to save the planet and I know I can and no one can tell me anything. I have almost, I think, in some circumstances been a bit like that. Yeah. And that has not made it possible for me to, you can say, to be more useful or achieve more. On the contrary, yeah. that would have been good to just, call, I would not say calm down, but more 
be, be a little bit more humble. But I think it's fantastic to have that energy to really want to contribute and go full-hearted into something. I think yes. it's just useful sometimes to see what skills do you need to have to be able to make that difference. Yes. Or, yeah, what does it take to actually do it? Sometimes it takes to, you need to gather the right people. I think that's one of my key lessons as well, is like the right people is everything. Yeah. People where you share the same vision and the same values. Yes. And that you have complementary skills. Yes. Absolutely. It's easy to fall in love with people that know the same stuff that you do. Yes. But that's not always that productive in building a company. We often like people that like ourselves. Mm. It's good if you can share values, I think, and the North Star, right? If you can share that, so you won't work in different directions yeah. and then have different skill sets uh, for, for sure. Yeah. And then also, I, I in, in terms of that humility, right? It's just, it's coming to me how I was just like, wow so naive in certain st in instances where you come up with the idea that you want to revolutionize an industry and uh, you don't know anything about that industry, but you kind of, you know, oh, they do it all wrong and I have a solution for them. And uh, of course it's true that innovation often doesn't come from those that have been in the industry 30 years because they have grown very attached to how things are being done. Mm -hmm. That is true. Often innovation comes from someone who is a bit more on the outside. And at the same time, it could probably be a good idea to say, I'll take a year to work in that industry, emerge myself in that industry to really, if, if you really care enough about that problem or that industry that you want to spend the next 10 years on it, it like Anthony Robbins said, you can, you can achieve a lot less in one year than you expect, but a lot more in 10 yes. that you can dream of. And I think that's true, I'm sure it's true, if, if, uh, if you think a bit more long-term about it. So sometimes you think, I just want to get going. I have no time to learn about this, yeah. this industry. I know exactly what needs to happen. I like, I'm going for it. I've done that. And then it's like, like, wow, I was so arrogant. I didn't know anything actually about how it works. The publishing industry is an example. Uh, it, it's easy to think that one is more clever and insightful than one is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I find the more that I learn, the more I figure out how little I know. Yes. It's like whether I go into health or any area, yes. there's so much to know. That's yes. not to paralyze me or anything else. It's just to be aware that like, I know a certain amount, but I really need to find people around me that know more and be open to learning new things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's very much the, also my experience. What's been some of the tools or ways that you've kind of figured out your way of like a new North Star or a new like to say, now I need to take the decision to actually leave Rainmaking that has been so successful and it's been friends for so many years. Like what has kind of guided you or helped you to make those decisions? Yes, so attachment does sneak in, right? There was a really a reason why Krishna and Arjuna had that conversation in Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> because it's a biggie for humans, attachment, right? Try to live a life without attachment. Some people would even say, no, I don't want that because it sounds like a meaningless life. Not at all. Um, but we do grow attachments all the time. And I suddenly also noticed that I had attachments to, to the story of being a partner in rainmaking and the friendships, as you mm. said, and, and all, all of that, all that was achieved. It's harder to let go than one would think. Yeah. Even though I, theoretically would say that I was willing to to let go and that I didn't have an attachment then 
emotionally, and that is the way you have an attachment, there was still something there. Um, I will give myself the, the credit that I, I, I worked through it quickly. There was a couple of weeks that were not that fun leading up to Christmas, mm. where it became kind of, it, 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 it revealed itself, I would say, that, that time was up. Yeah. Um, that, so in that sense, it was, it was easy enough for me to see that it was the right thing. But it was not easy for a week or two emotionally to, to let go. And I was a bit surprised because, you know, with all my meditation practice and all I, the last three and a half years and what I, you know, kind of what I have realized and what I've been through and, and I surely, you know, had, had, had bigger challenges in my life as such uh, than, than this with a couple of divorces and a child that was not so happy for a while and is very happy now. But I, I was feeling like I, I thought I would be, I, I didn't think that I would experience this pain that I'm experiencing right now. And, and then, of course, also I just said uh, that I, I accept the chains and I, I accept two chains. And, uh, of course, I'm not bigger than pain in any way. Who I even to think, who have such a silly idea, just feel it, feel the pain. And the moment I, I kind of said that, then it, it, it rather quickly dissolved. Uh, and I just felt clarity. And it's been a beautiful journey. I won't be sad that it's over, but happy that it happened, mm. uh, as been said. I think that's also a beautiful saying, and it resonates deeply. I'm so grateful for all of the experiences that, 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 that we had together and, and everything that Rainmaking has done and has become. And at the same time, I just have to be real about that it's not for me anymore. I don't fit in anymore. Mm. Um, and it's the right thing for, to, to start, to start, uh, start all over again based on what I now know to be truth about what I should be doing and working for. Mm. Um, and that then very quickly, within a few days, totally shifted and, and just felt excitement and uh, for, uh, for the next chapter. And that is going to be exciting. I know we have a lot of people exciting to see what direction that's going to go. So something yeah. that I noticed very fast in Rainmaking was definitely a lot of people talk about wanting to make an impact, but it seems to be kind of like the new smart word. And especially people that are over 45 or 50 uh, that's been doing really well, now they found that they need to say impact is the way forward. Mm. But it doesn't really resonate like they really mean it. But that's something that I always appreciated with you, that it was very clear that you really meant it and you're ready to take actions, whether it actually costs something or not, to actually do something that matters and focus on that. Because I think that's a big choice to take. Yes. If you're not willing to that it can cost you anything, then it is in truth not a priority. No. And, and so, and, uh, I, and I've always advised uh, to, uh, startup founders when, when, I, when I've been working with them on something and and they felt that they were really out of sync with the direction that has happened or what the investors wanted or the majority of the other founders or mm. whatever. And, and they had to compromise to stay there. Then I also said, you know, are you sure it's worth it? Mm. Right? Because you could be doing something new and amazing in 60 months, uh, six months, yeah. <laughs> six months, five years. That's a long time in six months. Right? So don't, don't think that we should just remind ourselves that we, we, we did abandon slavery. Yeah. It's been a while ago. 
but we often enslave ourselves to the stories. Oh, but I am a co-founder of this or that startup, or I am a leader or manager in this company, or I work at this university, or I am this or that. You're so much more than that, mm. right? You just don't know yet, apparently. Yeah. Right? Why, why don't you try it out? There was a saying that I, that I, that I heard, don't rock the boat. I heard a few times in, in the context of rainmaking. And in the beginning, I was like, okay, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense, right? You, you, it, it could tilt. Maybe that would not be a good thing. But then it, it dawned on me, no, 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 don't. That's, it's like with the grass is greener. Don't, don't rock the boat. That makes me very paralyzed. Yeah. It doesn't make me expansive and excited and creative at all. If we all walked around and said, don't rock the boat, uh, on the uh, on the contrary, I would say tilt the boat over. Yeah. It's the only way you will find out that you can actually swim. Yeah, I can swim, right? Maybe you can swim too. I can. Yeah. <laughs> so why would we be so afraid to to rock the boat? It's actually quite fun yeah. if you tried it to fall fall in the water from from a boat, a canoe or something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, it's quite fun. So rock the boat uh, <laughs> if you can swim, and if you cannot, then take some swimming lessons. Yeah. And then rock the boat. Um, so we should be very aware what kind of stories we internalize. In that sense, I could feel what you're, what you're hinting towards there, a, a disconnect. And, and I also went to McKinsey's website, actually, and I, you know, I, I have no idea how the company is nowadays. And there's probably a lot has happened since I was there, and I'm sure that they're doing really, really good work. And I could see that there was sustainability all over it. Yes. All over it. And I was just thinking, wow. The, if I, I, I can, that is of course wonderful, and I, I was just also hoping that it really comes from the heart. Yeah. And if it does, then the people, it's it's a different culture than when I was there. Yeah. Because it was surely not about sustainability there, and of course we we know that change is difficult, especially in an organization, um, especially if you're very successful. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just about how, how do we actually make it make it land, because sustainability, in my view, is not an intellectual argument, and it's not even any, something that we can threaten each other for. Like the world will come to an end, and we will have the sixth mass ex, uh, extinction, uh, and your children and grandchildren will not have a planet. So therefore, do something now. How how good do you feel now, right? Do you feel that really excited and full of energy and full of creativity? No. You, we, I know I feel very worried when I listen too long to that. I want to know the facts, so I do look at it yeah. a little bit. But even more than looking at the sad facts, uh, I just you know want to check out kind of, yeah, that looks true. I believe in that. And you can also just for yourself go to places. We might forget it if we are in a, you know, Copenhagen is quite clean, but go to Beijing. Yeah. You need to wear a mask, and you literally do. I thought, ah, maybe I don't. So I, I, I didn't use it the first half hour. It felt like I was smoking 10 cigarettes at a time for half an hour, and I was like, oh, I, need a, <laughs> I need a mask. How dystopian, yeah. right, to, to, to live like that. Wow. Um, so it's tr it is real. Mm. We are hurting the planet. Um, it is real. And then we want to do something about it. And from what place are we doing something about it? I would suggest from the state of love, love for the planet, which is in truth our mother. Hmm. We are born out of this earth. 
where else would we come from? There's a little bit of Stardust landing on us as well, but the bulk of our bodies have emerged from the soil that we're stepping around on, from this planet, this table, the chair we sit on, the car that's manufactured, everything we pull out of the air, yeah. not of the air, of the earth. And then what kind of relationship do we have with the planet that provides everything for us? We want to make that a loving relationship, like the Native Americans, they were really good at that, right? Also, I've been being in, in Bali uh, for, for a couple of times. They also have a very sweet relationship with, uh, with nature hmm. um, in many ways. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's perfect. They also throw plastic here and there, and they, 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 they want to learn that, that, that skill too. We are better even at hitting the bin here. Yeah. Uh, so there's something there that doesn't fully hit home always. So it's not to idealize, uh, idealize uh, any, anything. But, but just to say that our job is and our opportunity is to fall in love with nature. And when we do that, we don't want to hurt nature. That is much better, I believe, than to try to scare ourselves into it because it will only paralyze us. I agree. So one of the reasons for the podcast was also whether it's sustainability or with health is I find there's too much about how it's so bad. I think it's important we're aware of the state, but we can spend 10% on being aware, and then 90% on the solutions. Yes. And actually doing something about it, because that's where the energy comes as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So leadership, you also wrote the book, How to Be a Leader, and try to pioneer this way of actually being more heartfelt. Yes. What are some of your thoughts on that, both of how we can actually change more healing organizations? I know that's something that's close to your mind. Yes. And then how do we do that with the current paradigm, like some of the challenges that might might create? Yeah, and now that you say healing organization, that there's a book called The Healing Organization. I didn't write it, uh, so it's, it's not a blog uh, at all, uh, but I would honestly rem uh, advise uh, to or suggest to uh, invite to, to read it. It's a beautiful book. And there are 18 different uh, cases mm. in there with organizations that have become Uh, or started off as healing organizations, healing for people and planet. And they are all successful and well-functioning and profitable and all of that. And at the same time, they are healing uh, organizations. And I think that is just beautiful because business, I believe, rules the world nowadays. It's not the big religions or ideologies or politicians even, uh, or kings or queens or anything else like it's been in the past. It is actually business that rules the world. And, um, and um, the, that means that the opportunity is to transform the way that we come together in what we call an organization or a business uh, and make it a, a, a regenerative uh, paradigm uh, rather than an extractive, mm. uh, an extractive way. Um, and that's another book I can recommend. It's actually by... One of the two authors is Danish, uh, Laura Storm, and, um, and it's called uh, Regenerative uh, Leadership. And so there are some amazing books out there that are inspiring this way of, of thinking mm -hmm. at, a, at, a, at a very heartfelt, uh, the word you used, and, and, and real way. I can feel this is not just greenwashing. This is not just, you know, these people, these authors putting it up on their website. I think mm -hmm. this is a way that I can sell many books because it's hip. It comes from a much, much deeper place. And actually just 
to walk around with that such a book in your hand does something to your system, right? It's amazing. There was one weekend where I was a bit like, because I've just had a board meeting and I felt I was working really hard for the green, uh, green agenda and that it didn't fully land. And I was going, is it me? You know, am, am, I, am I not on the right track? Is it mm. too idealistic? Is it crazy to believe that, 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 that we uh, can have a positive impact and can, uh, that we can work to make the catering industry more, much more sustainable? Mm. And then I was walking around, I, I, intuitively, I just picked up that book and I walked around with me. I was, I was in London that weekend and I walked around to the meetings I had and brought the book with me. Without talking about it, I just put it on my lap because I needed, to, that, I needed that energy to remind me all these beautiful stories about companies who are actually doing it. No, of course it's not a fantasy. It might not be the most common right now, but this is also just a phase. Yeah. And if we go 50 years back, people were thinking and saying different things. 100 years back, if you can see it. I read all old newspapers. You probably have had a look in those two. It's hilarious. Yeah. Where you can just see, wow, this is a whole different way of looking at things than we have today. And, I'm and nowadays it goes so much faster. Just in those 13 years where rainmaking has been, been part of my life, we went from that there was no startup ecosystem, essentially in a place like Copenhagen, almost not anywhere outside of Silicon Valley. And that the idea of starting your own company or your own business, your own startup, didn't even call it startup at the time. That, and big companies didn't care about it at all. It was like, ignore that, that's ridiculous. Don't, don't look at anything that's less than you know, 100 people and have five years P&L. Yeah. And, and you, couldn't get a, you couldn't even get a bank account and uh, you could forget about getting any contract from, from, from uh, the government or municipalities or anything like that. Uh, there was n no support system hmm. to today, just a little bit more than a decade later. Wow. And, and that would be even much, much more. And now that that train has a very high speed. Uh, and this is also why I feel that I don't need to actually be working so much on that anymore. It's a given. The world mm. is becoming more entrepreneurial, has become more entrepreneurial, innovative, creative. We have unleashed a lot of human potential in the sense that we all dare to believe that we can do something, get an idea, get going, gather the team, get investment, get support along the way. We can do that either as the lead founder, as the co-founder, as mm. a first employee or as employee number 10. Uh, depending on our risk profile, or we can invest in it if we have a lot of money. We can, or we can build ecosystems if we really love to connect people. We can find our role in all of that. Mm. That's amazing. So that's a given. What is not a given is that it is towards a benevolent uh, purpose. That is not necessarily a given yet. So it's a lot more technology and innovation. But that could potentially just make us get to the edge mm. <laughs> uh, of the cliff sooner than yeah. otherwise. So growth in itself will not get us there. Uh, like we talk about, will technology save us? And I'm thinking not technology in itself, right? It, uh, it will depend on the human intention behind that technology. Uh, just as a, you know, a knife, is that a good invention or not? Depends on if I cut an apple, it's very useful. But if I stab someone, not so good an idea, but yeah. it's not the technology of the knife in itself. It's totally the use of it and the intention. Uh, so, so we need to upgrade our operating system. Are we doing all of that to get ahead mm. or are we doing all of that to heal? And that shift, I don't see that that is not necessarily a done deal. 
we are some people who need to work on that agenda, just as you uh, are yourself and your company and uh, many other good uh, people are actually really, really many, right? Mm. It's just a matter of are we then 1% in yes. <laughs> or are we 100% in? Yeah. Uh, that is, that is the, the, so I'm, I am hopeful in that sense and also very excited to apply myself uh, in, in, in that agenda and, and try to go up from the smaller percentages to a little bit higher percentages uh, as, uh, as soon as, uh, as possible. Mm. I definitely see more people go in that direction. It's definitely also biased by being in that space. And uh, in Kring, where we're building health companies, we also look for investors to join that were interested in this. Yes. And I really, really appreciate one of our investors, Peter Midgård, who at our first investor meeting, so we have the fund where we build health companies, he asked one of our concepts, very critical. He was like, are you guys just going to build something that makes a lot of money? Or do you really want to make, are you really going to make an impact with this? Yes. And that was like such a relief to get that question yes. from one of the investors being like, he wanted to make something that mattered. Yes. He didn't just want to put his money into us building companies that was going to be highly profitable, but also making a difference. Yes. But it's hard to find those people. And I think it's still in the minority, but they're growing. Mm. It is. And I also believe that we, us who build the companies and fund managers uh, have a, as you are also, right, in, in Kring, that they have a responsibility. Mm. Because if you go, if fund managers uh, will go to their LPs, the limited partners, their investors, and say, and start the conversation by saying, I'm going to make the best return you can imagine. Then, and, and, and that is still the normal thing to do, to really persuade and convince and show that you are the best place to get the highest possible return. But when you talk all about that, then you also put the focus on that, mm. where I think it's a lot more exciting. How do we actually learn to measure impact? Because I think a lot of the obsession with, with, with the, the monetary return, uh, the profit, is that it can be measured. We have a way of measuring it. Uh, we even need to for the annual income statement, mm. uh, annual report. And you put two lines under it, and then you can... You feel good about it if you have a progress yeah. year to year. You feel that makes, you know, we all like to like progress, of course, prosperity, growth. Uh, that's natural. A tree also grows. There's nothing wrong with growth. Of course, we want to grow. It's just what are we growing? Mm. <laughs> and we grow that because we can measure that. Uh, luckily, nowadays, there are amazing people working on also finding out different ways that we can measure and document and share and talk about impact. And I think that is a fascinating conversation to, to have. So it's almost like gamifying it a little bit. And yeah. then to see, let's, let's see how big an impact you as an investor can have. Could you be willing to put some of your uh, money, just a smaller part of it? Of course, do the conventional thing with what can be you know, the monetary return, of course. But could you also see yourself engaging in this new emergent paradigm of where we primarily focus on the impact yeah. and, we, and we really work hard to measure the impact, document the impact, and grow that impact year by year. Mm. Could that be interesting, worthwhile, fun, rewarding, something to talk about, worth your time? Because then I think that many of them have said, yeah, it could be, right? And of course, they don't like the idea that you just say, oh, impact, and then they give you money, 
And, and then it maybe just means that you're a little bit more sloppy with them yeah, yeah, yeah. because we don't really measure it. Of yeah. course, I can understand they don't like that idea. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sure that they would love to engage in how do we actually measure and document impact yeah. uh, for you and together with you. Um, and, 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 and so it's a little bit more complicated. It might take a little bit longer, but I'm sure that it, it's, it's worthwhile for those who engage in that. Yeah. And then you have a different agreement with your investors, which means that you can then invest in different cases. Yeah. Because right now there's a race to say, if you are a fund, that you also impact. And you set aside two billion for impact investments. Everyone, you know, falling over their own legs to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, especially for sustainability. But like uh, August Lund has been writing on, on, uh, on LinkedIn, who is very much into the sustainability agenda and a former Goldman Sachs director. So he knows the game, he knows what he's talking about. He's saying, but that actually means that you should be investing this amount next week mm. and you're not going to, right? And if I call you in a month, it should be that amount. In six months, this amount, where's your pipeline, right? It's easy to, he's, he's calling the bluff, essentially. It's easy to state that, oh, we have so you know, many, uh, because what will happen is that a year later, for most of these, they will say that we couldn't find any suitable investments. Yeah. At the same time, if you go out and meet the, the ecosystem, impact ecosystem, it is full of amazing people with great ideas, ready to go, but they can't get funding because they can't tell a narrative about that they will be the next unicorn. So they have to do different kind of soft funding and all. Uh, it's, it's hard to find someone like, like that uh, one uh, private investor that you, that you talk about, yeah. these very rare investors that are asking that kind of questions. And it's very, it, so it's, it's difficult if you don't want to tell the story that we'll be the next unicorn yeah. and we'll give you 10x on your investment. Here's our spreadsheet. It's amazing. Yeah. If you don't tell that story, it can be very difficult for, for, for the impact uh, startup to get the money. All the meanwhile, we have the big fund saying we have two, two billion for impact investments. So it's, it's not adding up. Um, it, it's okay. It's the early stages. And it's and the same habit with, you can say, with entrepreneurship as a general thing early on. Now it's just happening within impact startups. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there to bridge that because there's a lot of good intentions. It's just to, um, to, to build bridges between yeah. people who haven't normally talked together and between very different perspectives. Because the fund manager might easily say, but you know, why don't they just talk our language? So why don't we get some good cases? And the impact startups are thinking, hey, you know, these guys live on a different planet. We don't have a chance here. Um, so, so something needs to change there. Hmm. What about leadership and being more heartfelt? So we implement meditation. Uh, we have a pull-up bar. We actually have a competition to get people to meditate. I try to do have development conversations and ask more about people's dreams because they might not, the dream might not be together with us for 20 years. The dream might be two or three years with us, or a year or a year and a half, and then somewhere else in the north star. Hopefully, they will be with us for a long time. But but how do you do that? I really enjoy that you took conversations with us in Rainmaking, where you kind of offered to like take a, a heartfelt conversation about like what was our dreams and sharing your experiences. Mm. If you can become the biggest champion for your people, for your colleagues, right? The one that is really on their mm. on their side uh, in terms of their their growth, the biggest supporter that they that that they have, no matter what. Mm. 
you know, no matter, as you say, it might be this company, might be another company. You know, I only have one thing uh, that I care about, and that is for you to thrive. Mm. If you can get pure in that, then essentially, you know, everyone will want to come and join because it's not co- it's not common practice. It's in a way I feel it's common sense. Mm. Because why else would you be a leader if it's not to help people? And and why would you not care about them if they don't want to be in your company? Right? I, I stay in touch with as many former uh, colleagues as want to mm. and support whatever they're doing now. Uh, it would be such a strongly thing for me if, <clears throat> if the relationship changed just because they don't want to, for some reason, to work in in in, uh, in my project anymore. Mm. It's only a wonderful thing, right? If if, if people get to a, a point where they feel so empowered that now they will they they will do their own thing or participate mm. in something else very meaningful. Uh, that's always a, a wonderful thing. Um, so if you can really be there with them and for them in that way, if we can be there for each other that way, where we see the human first, mm. not as a resource, right? Mm. We've done a lot of disservice by calling it human resource. Yes. Oh, it's not very kind to to, to any of us. I try to be cautious, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard. <laughs> so when we discuss things like what, instead of saying like, what resources do you have to allocate to different projects? So yeah. like, what people do we have or like, but it's hard because it's part of our normal language to say like, what resources, or we don't have the resources for that. Yes. It is like, we don't have the people that can put the energy into this project right now. Mm. Yes. It's funny how it our language creates our reality as well. Exactly. Yes. It's very, very true. So much more like uh, who, who feels drawn to this? Yeah. Who feels a calling to be part of this? Wow. And if I feel a calling to be part of something, if I really feel drawn to it, if I just have to participate in it, then imagine what 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 person it is that is working on it yes. compared to if like, hey, you are allocated to, <laughs> to yes. that project. I mean, that was very much how it was at, at my time at McKinsey. And again, it might have changed, but it was very much like, here's a project you've been allocated to. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I love it. What is it? <laughs> and I know that part yeah. has changed a little bit. I have a good friend that's very impact-driven, uh, Lena Colling, that might be listening as well. She's very much for like going for the impact project, but she's also been very proactive in like searching for those projects. She yes. doesn't decide fully, but she's very good at at getting into those projects, getting around, finding the, the partners that are involved and yes. putting her name in before they even know who uh, who they need. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, they did also have a pro bono uh, division at the time yeah. and did some good some some good things there, I am sure. Uh, so it's it's just a mindset. Yeah. Of, do we allocate resources? Yes. And companies will talk about it like that. Yes. No doubt. You know, even today, all the big companies, I'm sure they talk about that. I just met with an, someone who's also been an HR manager and professional in in a lot of mid-sized and big companies over the last 10 years and he just resigned from it because he said i i I simply you know we pretend that we are there for the people but in reality we are 100 there for the company and i i can't live that double life anymore no and suddenly i think wow that's quite you know quite a way to put it Hmm. but i see what you know what you mean that that you always strategize. How do how do we make you know sh- sure that this doesn't cost the company anything? How do we get the most out of people? Not how do we contribute the most to people? And if we say contribute, you know, we, then it will be like so that we can quickly get a return yes. on it. 
will they be a little bit less sicker? Hopefully, you do everything you can that you people make them less feel sick. amazing and yeah. to make them less sick. Of course, from from the logic of that, that is what you do when 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 you're together with some people, uh, and when you have some kind of responsibility, a big responsibility actually yeah. for other people. It should hopefully not be like, what's the business case for that? Yeah. But I guess that's the paradigm. For me, something that that kind of changed, I'm sure whether it changed my mind or that struck me was uh, five or one of the really known management professors that wrote about um, how organizations are killing people. Mm. Yeah, that's a, obviously, of course, a harsh way of putting it, but it, I, I would say it is accurate, right? Many people are are dying from stress-related uh, diseases. For but it's, sure. it's hard how you you want to make sure a company survive and do well. And sometimes, when do you make that sacrifice? I think that goes back to what we discussed earlier, like, are you willing to do something that costs profit hmm. for doing the right thing? I think that's a super important question and super important to make that choice. That's sometimes easier uh, in cases when a company is going well, that you can easily do more benefits. But I think it's, I think that's the hard balance that many people are sitting out there. One thing is the theoretical, we should always do a lot of stuff for employees, but sometimes you have to look at the bottom line and say like, I have to fire five people. Mm. Otherwise, the 50 other people are not going to have a job. Or I can remove this benefit to yeah. keep these five people. Like when you're standing in that dilemma, you don't feel like you have that luxury. Like what do you do in that situation? So there can easily be a lot of that, the means, that the end justifies the means mm -hmm. in that. So if, for instance, in that example, like you're worried that you might have to fire five people, then in most cases, those five people, let's say that that it's in, that the economy is, 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 is okay and you mm -hmm. live in Copenhagen or something like that, it could be a lot healthier, just yeah. you know, in, high, in, 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 in high spirits and in faith uh, in them, bel believe that of course they will have a new job to just have that frank conversation and then and then they find something else to do uh, rather than 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 you compromise on everyone's health yeah. uh, to let's work really hard because we can't fire anyone uh, and therefore create an awful uh, work environment that m will not then produce uh, the best results for it's very hard to get back on again if you create a stressful environment and then think that it, it, it will, you know, it's only for a few months, mm. two years later, it might still be very stressful because such a stressful environment is actually not that productive. You don't get the good ideas from that. Uh, it's, it's a negative spiral. It doesn't attract customers um, to uh, that, that, that energy either. New talented people who look at it might not feel that drawn. Mm. Um, so, I would never recommend actually going down that route. I think it's much better just to face face the facts, face reality. Say, oh, so next month we don't have room for this many people. Mm. We need to act on it. Otherwise, the whole company will not exist anymore. And then adjust. Maybe we shouldn't be 50. Maybe we should just be 30. That's not terrible. It's, no. it's good people. <laughs> they will quickly find something else to do. And... Uh, but it becomes the story, like now we are 50. It would be embarrassing and terrible if we were suddenly only 30. Yeah. It says who? Yeah, it can easily be a vanity, vanity thing that we don't, we don't want to shrink, we don't want to downsize, we don't want to, uh, to do that. And of course, it's a general rule. There can be exceptions. If you are in, 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 de 
Detroit and there are no other jobs to get and there's no safety net. So, you know, people will actually end on the street. Then yeah. there's, of course, also, and that is describing the healing organization. There's also the other way where you have a frank conversation with everyone yeah. and you agree on that maybe everyone can go down uh, 20% in time and salary yeah. and then everyone can stay here. It can also be a beautiful thing to do. Yeah. Probably wouldn't fly here in Copenhagen because people say, hey, you know, I'd rather find another job in that case yeah. because there are so many options. Yes. So it's, it's in the context of things, but this that we need to survive, we need to keep the size, we need to, we need to, we need to. Every time we, use, we say that, it's a good reminder that we actually don't really need anything. Mm. Yeah, some air and a glass of water. It's also good with a meal now and then. But is any of that really threatened? No. Is any of that threatened for any of our people? No. Okay, so let's keep the perspective and let's first and foremost commit to the state of being the way we are in this situation, in this hardship or crisis. How about that we keep our cool mm. and we keep the heart open so we are creative still and we look at it constructively. What can, what can be done without fear? Because mm. fear never helps anything. We don't become better in fear or stress. It doesn't make us better in any way. We don't come up with the good solutions. It's a different part of our brain that's working. Yes, so. it is, isn't it? Yeah. So I would never go there. No, I, uh, I would suggest that we never go there into fear, into stress, just as out of principle. Did we just try it for a year uh, to say that for the coming year, I will have no worries. No worries, no fear, no stress for the coming year. And then just see. It's an experiment, right? You're into biohacking. This is a biohack in a way. Say for a year, I won't have any worries. I won't pollute my system with that. And then I'll look in a year's time if if that seems to be working for me or it doesn't. You can always pick up your worries again and go back to the old way of living. That would be very easy. You can mm. always be stressed out again. But if you'd go for a year and then see, does that mean that I will lose my job and my apartment and my girlfriend and everyone will hate me? Okay, if it does, then let me go back to the worries. But it could also be that you're actually enjoying life, contributing, good, uh, you're good to your own body, your own system, building even more meaningful relationships and getting the same amount or even more done. So what would you advise when people listen like, I would love to be without worries for a year, but I worry all the time. Like, How do people get rid of their worries? It is a bit like, you know, if you say that I'm, I'm not in good shape and I would like to get in good shape, then it would be very useful to go to the gym, for instance. Uh, and and it's, it's the same, it's, it's to practice. So if there's a lot of worries, uh, some conversations are good to look at what it is. And also in itself, it won't do the trick. <laughs> uh, you can go to a psychologist for 10 years and not... As such uh, become joyful and happy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good starting point, but it's not enough in itself. It's a bit like going to the gym and getting all the exercises explained and you get to understand how your muscles work and all of that. And you understand why you're not in good shape right now yeah. and what it would take to be in good shape. Awesome. Of course, do that. Get, get that professional help for sure uh, and not be too proud to do that. Right? If, if one is full of worries, own that and then Get to talk to someone professional who have specialized in, uh, in, in, in our mental health. Uh, and then also take the next step, really yeah. take the next step, do the practice. Uh, and that can be meditation, can be mindfulness exercises, it can be different things. Uh, but simply to do that uh, practice, I would say that it, it is just like it's actually impossible to be in, in, in a bad physical 
condition, you know, disease aside. But you know, if 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 you are rather well, uh, then it if you do an, an hour exercise a day, it's impossible to be overweight or to be uh, uh, feeling terrible with your body after six months, maybe sooner. Mm. You'll be quite fit. You'll be feeling very strong. It's just cause and effect. It's very logical like that. There's no big mystery. And the same goes with the mental health. If you do half an hour or an hour of meditation a day, I would say it's impossible actually. To worry too much. To worry. Mm. After six months, sooner actually, especially after 40 days, big jump, after 90 days, big jump. But it's impossible. It just won't happen. That's definitely a challenge for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> I can see if time is flying. Yes. Martin, before we round off, if you had to give one final or one to three recommendations for finding your way or in general live a happy life or meaning, what would, uh, what would that be? Just, I would say, don't believe any sad stories, especially not the ones that we tell ourselves. They are just that, sad stories. There's always another p- way of looking at it. Makes yeah. sense. Perception is really reality. Yes. And it is. I we make it all up. Yeah. Uh, as we go along. I think the story of uh, the the classic story with the two brothers where the dad was an alcoholic and one is an alcoholic and the other one is is living without drinking. And you ask them like, so why like why are you living the life you are today? And it's like, what else could I do? Yes. Look at my dad. Yes. The alcoholic said that. And yes. then the other guy said, what else could I do? Look at my dad. Yes. So it's really like how you use the story to do something good for you or, or, or stay in yes. in a bad shape. Very true. Inspiring way of looking at it. Yes. So Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yes, me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.